Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. This is Len and Jeff from Baseball and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and and what's going going down down on the farm. farm. It's It's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Another edition of Mets Musings, number 353. I hope everybody had a great week out there. Great two weeks, actually. Took a week off last week. Not much really to talk about, folks. Didn't want to bore you, so took a little bit of a a week off there. And uh, back, though, back, refreshed. Got a terrific guest. (laughs) You're going to love it. And he'll be on a little bit later, but let's see. What, what's going on? Well, the Mets got to catch you. No, it's not JT Real Muto, but they did re-sign Devin Mezzarocco to a minor league deal, and he will get a spring training invite, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't make the team out of spring training. Uh, I'd also be shocked if they don't move Travis Darno somewhere. I think that is the reason why they signed Mezzarocco. Good deal. He knows the team, knows the pitching staff. Um, I, I, you know, I see good things happening from this particular move, and uh, I think it was a good move on a part of the Mets to do this at this particular time. So it gives him a couple of good veterans. And a one guy that's a, a Wilson Ramos, good catcher, knows the division, doesn't know to he's got to learn the pitching staff. But another guy in Mezzarocco knows the pitching staff, uh, knows the league, knows the division, and Darno, who who's familiar with uh, it all, uh, will be in the running too. It also gives the Mets flexibility in that if they were to move Darno. That doesn't move Nito into the the backup. Nito has done a fine job, and I think they're still high on him, but I think he needs a little bit more seasoning, especially on the offensive side of the ball. The defense he seemed to be, he, he did pretty well with, but I think on the offensive side of the ball needs a little bit of seasoning, and uh, this could be the perfect uh, thing for him because he can go to uh, AAA. Um, get some seasoning there. Uh, there's also talk that Mezzarocco could start the season at AAA, and uh, if an injury occurs, could come up. I really, I feel as if they're going to try to move Darno for some sort of um, um, relief pitching, another arm or two. Uh, maybe a middle-of-the-road prospect they can get for Dono, I don't know, and a major league uh, reliever. Uh, that remains to be seen. But 
that is uh, one of the Mets' news. And, of course, the news in the division, I guess, would be that the Phillies acquired Real Muto. It sucks still having him in the division. But, look, we've dealt with him before. So, it you know, it's just he's just moving from one team to the other. Does he make the Phillies a better team? Without a doubt. But there's still some question marks with the Phillies. Is is uh, Arietta? Can he return to prominence? Um, they did give up a starting pitcher. You know, there's questions with everybody. And uh, until the season, that's why they play the games. Until we see people play at what they can do in the long run, we're not going to know anything. But um, Brody's high on this team. Brody Van Wagen, and he thinks they're going to win, and he says they're not. He's not the only one that says it. So let's see. Uh, one thing he has put into this organization is, it seems, a winning spirit. He's definitely infused that in with everyone, and uh, you know that's something we didn't have as much of before. And he seemed to have gotten more control over different things. And um, I believe he's not done yet doing something, tweaking this uh, this roster, if you will. I believe there's still some moves he plans on making. Uh, he could move Todd Frazier, could move Darno, as we said, uh, you know, number of things they can still do. And uh, the one thing that he, he has done immensely is improve the depth of this team in the offseason. I can't wait. You know, outfield, infield uh, depth is is awesome. And, and you're not getting um, 4A players. And that's not a knock on the Josh Satins and the Eric Campbells of the world, but you know, would you rather have a Jed Lowry come in uh, or, or you know, one of the other guys they acquired rather than that? I would say yes. So uh, that's that's another interesting thing. Um, you know, again, uh, signing Mesoraco. Now you got Mesoraco, Darno, Ramos. And, and don't forget now, Nito has two years of spotty but he's been called up a couple of times so he's got a little experience now and he knows the pitching staff so that adds even more depth to this uh this team so far so um lots of good signs for the Mets I think moving forward now of course the other big news of the week was not really Mets related but it was the uh, game, the rule changes that the commissioners proposed and the MLBPA, the Players Association, has counted with some, some, you know, I uh, relief pitcher pitching to a minimum of three batters. I don't see how that's going to work out. They could try it. The 22nd clock again, renaming the disabled list to the injured list and changing it back to a 15-day disabled list. I kind of like the 10-day. Maybe they should have uh, 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 both. I don't know. Um, 
I kind of like a 10-day because if a guy's got a a uh, a nagging little injury that could heal with four or five days of rest, then the 10-day is good. You only lose them for that for the 10 days, um, whereas you're going to lose them now for another five days for something that's going to be totally healed. I I don't know. I can live with it. The two that, the, the thing that really got me, of course, was the DH, and I'm totally against the DH. I I am getting to the point where it, it looks like it will be inevitable. The Players Association is pushing it for this season. I don't see how they could approve it for this season other than teams have not, in the National League, have not prepared for it. Now, all reports, and if you do look at the Mets, is the Mets would be in a great position if they added a DH this year. And the position of DH has changed um, for the most part. You don't see the big names in a wreck situation now you do, but you don't see the big name signing to hang on and be a DH like it was a few years ago. Now teams are using the DH in a different manner. They're using it more to rest players and to get at bats for players that, that normally may not have a position. And, uh, but, they're moving people in and out of the lineup and in the DH position. And that's something different that we hadn't seen before. That's something that that's fairly new over the last few years. So how would the Mets benefit by getting a DH? Well, they have Robertson Cano. They can move into a slot if they wanted to give him a day or two off. Uh, Todd Frazier could move into a spot. Um, Peter Alonzo could come in and not have to worry about defense. He could go into a spot as a DH and and uh, switch back and forth. You know, uh, against lefties, he could play first base. Uh, he could uh, DH on other days. Um, much better names that you ever think of in the Mets. And how about this one? What about if Ioannis Cespedes came back? He could DH and still heal uh, because he wouldn't have to be pounding out in the outfield all the time. He'd be off his feet for the most part, you know, just batting and, uh, um, you know, running, of course, but I mean, it wouldn't be, you would take the, uh, the defense out of the uh, equation there, and he could come back maybe a little bit sooner. So looking at it from that viewpoint, the Mets are in a pretty good situation. Jed Lowry could be used as a, as a, a Jeff McNeil in and out of the, you know, uh, play the field and um, DH as well. So the Mets actually uh, are in a decent situation. If a DH was to be included this season or even next year, um, 
And you have to wonder if Brody uh, Van Wagen, the general manager, had that in mind, had an inkling this was going to happen when he started constructing this team. Makes you wonder a little bit, doesn't it? Um, but we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, their meeting. Um, don't know if all the media, the uh, owners in the National League will go for a, a DH either next year or this year. Uh, whether or not they'd be in favor of it, I think they need 75% of the owners to approve. I thought at one time that it was a unanimous vote. Now I've heard 75%. Not real sure which uh, is the current uh, thing that they have to do for that, but um, we shall see. And, and, you know, everybody says it's inevitable. So it's, it's sad that that would come about. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't know, not much we can do about it as fans. If the National League fans don't want it, they have to get together and they have to make their voice known to to Major League Baseball and the Players Association. It's that simple. All right, let's take a break. I've talked long enough. And... uh, (laughs) See, when I'm off, I, I come back. I got things to say. Um, let, let's take a break and be back after these massages. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shoftaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. But it always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com or at baseballpodcast.net. Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a PhD in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show. And uh, drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail, question, anything at all. Call that number, 516-619-6341. Or go to MetsMusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer microphone or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com the facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings and the twitter handle is at metsmusings1 with all the mets news it is the news from around the world and around the corner here's gary mack and my guest tonight is the author of a terrific book called Mets in Tens. His name is Brian Wright. And Brian, welcome to Mets Musings. Oh, thanks so much, Gary. Great to be on. Uh, Brian, so by, let's start off by saying um, what made you come up with this book? And, uh, you know, what, what premise did you take to decide to write this? Yeah, there are a lot of different factors that 
made this book possible. Um, I had, in addition, I guess on the side of my full-time job, I, I wrote for a few different web, websites like Bleacher Report uh, and a site called The Sports Daily. I did a lot of um, list articles, um, so maybe that's part of the inspiration. Uh, but I guess the Met side of it, uh, in addition to the obvious of me being a diehard fan, um, the uh, incident in 2015 during the playoffs, uh, Game 2, uh, where um, Chase Utley runs into the back leg of Ruben Tejada, uh, breaks his leg, mm-hmm. uh, and somehow was called safe and eventually was <laughs> the reason for the Dodgers winning that game. Um, it meant only uh, uh, it added to his uh, villain status. I mean, after my rage had subsided, I started to think, well, where does Chase Utley now rank in terms of the greatest villains uh, in Mets history? Uh, I just, it just was something that was kind of ingrained in me thinking about lists and all that. And then I started to think about that. And I, then I started to think about other lists in Mets history. Uh, and that kind of generated this potential book idea, which I was going to do independently. And then I uh, was very fortunate to get the history press to, uh, to sign on to it. So it really started with, with that, uh, with that playoff game. I, 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 in a weird way, I should thank Chase Utley, but I'm not going to. <laughs> So something good came out of the Chase Hutley play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you become a Mets fan? I mean, you live in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. how, you know, how did this uh, love affair with this team begin and uh, join the rest of us nuts that put up yeah. with all the aggravation for these years? Yeah, I, I, I grew up in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia. I live in D.C. now, but my dad was a Mets fan from the jump uh, in 1962. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, at five years old uh, how, how everything started. Um, but when you're five years old, things that you see quite often have a great influence on you. Uh, and the Mets were something that kind of I saw very often. I actually lived in New York when I was five, I guess when I turned five. But anyway, my dad had a bunch of Mets stuff. And I remember watching the uh, it was the 25th anniversary video and the, the 1986 highlight video. And then I went to my first game around that same time. I couldn't tell you which came first. Uh, but I went to my first game <laughs> in when I was five in 1992 uh, at Shea Stadium. Uh, and I was hooked pretty much from then on out. Uh, so uh, it was – and also being in D.C. when we moved there, I mean, there was no major league team uh, within, you know, 40 miles of the, the, the Orioles were the closest team. Right. So uh, I never really was given the chance to be influenced another way, which was, <laughs> which I'm fortunate for. You know, it's a funny thing. We, we, we complain about suffering, being a suffering Met fan, but you know what? I don't think we'd have it any other way. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and you're right. When I, you talk about like Washington, DC uh, with the exception of what, you know, the Washington Capitals last uh, last uh, June, winning their first Stanley Cup and breaking a long drought for the city. I mean, the Nationals slash Expos uh, have yet to get to a World Series, and mm-hmm. the Nationals, of course, as we know, uh, and to their and to my great delight, they have never won a postseason <laughs> series. Uh, I hope to keep it that way. Um, but yeah, so it, it's um, it's funny because Mets fans, and of course, Mets fans, are kind of, of of my generation, all think that the Mets are some cursed franchise. <laughs> and in, in reality, when you look at the grand scheme of things, they are certainly not. 
Um, they had, they were very, uh, of course, very lucky in 1986, even though they were the best team. In 69, a lot of things fell into place. And there are some other things, uh, the ball in the wall play in 1973. I mean, that's a play that's like a one-in-a-million play. Right. And then, of course, uh, as I'm, I'm currently working on a new book uh, on the Mets all-time team, and, you know, of course, Tom Seaver is on it. Of course. And I start to think about that. And that was another very fortunate Mets moment because he comes to the Mets basically through the, the, the pick of a hat. You know, right. he, you know they, they had put in, you know, a few teams were vying for his services mm-hmm. uh, after, like, the Dodgers and Braves thought they were going to get him. Um, and it was down to, like, a three teams. And the Mets came out in, in when those – three teams were put into a hat. So um, the Met history of the Mets could have been a lot different uh, <laughs> if another team was chosen there. Yeah, without him, uh, it, it would have been interesting. And, you know, we, we also wonder if Gil Hodges didn't die, what would have happened. There's a lot of things exactly. uh, involved in it. I happen to be uh, – I remember going to the Polar Grounds. I've been a fan since the 62 as well. I'm that old. Yes, I'm old. Uh <laughs> But uh, as a kid, I remember going to the polo grounds uh, to see the Mets. I never saw the Giants. I'm not that old. Uh, but uh, So I've been around with, with them since the beginning. And, and, I mean, you know, I've had my uh, not straying, but years of not uh, of drifting, let's say, and, and always come back home. But the book, um, the title, Mets and Tens, I, I – I think a lot of people would uh, uh, ask, what do you mean by Mets and Tens? So why don't you explain to the good folks uh, what exactly is in this, this book? Yeah, so um, so Tens being series of top ten lists, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, you know, it, it, and it's broken down into, I think it's, uh, how many, it's broken down into several sections. Right. So the first section is like beginnings, which would be, Top ten opening days, uh, you know your your nineteen eighty three game with Tom Seaver coming back, uh, and then of course all other you know victories, and of course there are a lot of Mets opening day victories. Um, you know also early Mets and best rookie seasons, and um, another section is you know best you know pitching performances or just a pitching section, which includes single game pitching performances, uh, left handed pitchers. Uh, then you have another section of um, uh, hitting, uh, best hitting performances and, and home runs. Um, and then we have another section that's like, uh, so you, you get the feeling. You get the sense yeah. of it. Uh, oh, there, are, there are bad stuff. There, there, are bad, there are bad things, <laughs> trust me. Like devastating losses, worst trades, busts, and those are, there are a lot to choose from there. So, it, yeah, it goes, uh, it, it, it um, is a different way of, um, talking about the entire history of the team, uh, because you know a lot of these history of the Mets uh, naturally are chronological, or they talk about um, just you know the top fifty players or or things like that. So I wanted to uh, encompass the history of the Mets in a different way through these top ten lists that show that the Mets have had a lot of highs and the Mets have certainly had a lot of lows, and and it, both gamuts are covered in, in in this book as well as the entire fifty seven season history of the team. And um, for for those uh, for the listeners out there, I, I this is the kind of book, and I always say this to uh, you know when I come across this kind of book. But um, 
this is the kind of book that you can uh, – what's great about it is that it's got lots of information in it, but it's not something that you have to uh, – I, I want to say this in the right way <laughs> – that you, you yeah. have to read cover to cover. I mean, you could skip around right. and look at sections and see, and it's, it's, it's uh, fascinating to see um, the different things. And you really – you brought back some memories for me um, – with the beginning section, but uh, uh, that's what I like about a book like this. Yeah, no, that was kind of the, the goal uh, when I started to do it. Um, and, and for me personally, having never, this is you know my first book, um, I wasn't going to be able to have the ability to write you know a, you know a biography or some kind of book that I had to investigate mm-hmm. uh, through many interviews. So this was a, a way to to probably, you know, get my foot in the door, uh, in terms of being an author. So, and, and yeah, and you're right. That was kind of the goal of it was to make it where you didn't have to start, you know, at the beginning, you right. could start with, you know, the section of, uh, all the, you know, best games of the pennant winning seasons or the, the, the all time team and the second team. So you didn't have to, there's no, uh, particular starting point and you can, it's not like you're, if you stop, then you're, you're, you forget where you, where you left off kind of thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's, you can always jump in at any time and then you can jump in anywhere. Now I'm, I, I don't know, but I'm going to ask, have you had anybody, uh, that's, uh, read the book come up to you and say, how did you pick that guy for number six or that event? That should be number four. Have you gotten yeah. into anything like that? Not not only have I had that, and not in a bad way. I mean, it was someone very nice saying uh, a fellow, actually a fellow author, uh, Eric Sherman, was like oh. he who actually wrote a, a nice bit of praise on the on um, on my Amazon site or on the Amazon uh, uh, profile um, where it's listed. Um, and it very, like I said, very nicely. Not only has he done that, I've done it to myself. <laughs> I have a list, the left-handed pitcher section. I reread it. I read it like after it was published, and I, you know, start just to just to right. you know, glance through it. Uh-huh. I started to go like, why did I have him ahead of him? Because <laughs> I, I and I jokingly say it's you know, I guess the book came out last April, April 2018. I said it was April 2018. Me uh, criticizing July 2017. Me because that's you know when I wrote it in July 2017. I'm like, but that's the beauty of the book because right there is nothing. To me, I'm not. These lists are not definitive uh, in most sense. Um, you know, it's not like I'm not telling people what the lists are. I'm just giving them what my opinion is, yeah. and certainly it's always open to interpretation. Because if someone says that someone should be higher, um, a lot of times there's good justification for it. Uh, for instance, the greatest or the, the the greatest, the worst loss. I guess it's the most devastating loss. Uh, devastating losses is, is, is the is the, uh, the chapter title. Um, you could make a case. I had number one, um, the 1988 uh, NLCS Game Four, the Mike Sosha home run off Dwight Gooden in the ninth inning mm-hmm. that eventually led to the loss in the twelfth inning uh, that tied the series instead of putting the Mets up three games to one. Right. Uh, and the Mets, of course, went to lose that game. That I put number one, but you could easily put number one. And for me, in my lifetime, I would put number one. Um, the 2006 Six. deciding game with the Adrian Molina home run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Carl looking at strike three. So I, if someone were to say, I put 06 Beltran Molina 
number one instead of so I wouldn't have a I wouldn't have an issue with that. It's right. just <laughs> so yeah, I, people can make arguments. It's not like I'm gonna start arguing back. <laughs> well, it's funny, and that, being that you brought up the left-handed starters, I can't argue with one and two. I, I can't really argue yeah. with three. Uh, it, but as I was first looking through the book and reading it, uh, I saw Tom Glavin at number six, and I thought, yeah. oh, he's got to be higher than that. But then I looked, and, and you know, if you kind of think about it, uh, yeah, you got him in a good spot. He maybe even could have been lower. You could have put Santana or Viola I, ahead of him. So I think, yeah, if I were to, hopefully the book gets reprinted, and I have a chance to revise it. I would put Steven Santana <laughs> number six ahead of Glavin. Okay. And I'd actually put maybe Sid Fernandez ahead of Bob Ojeda. Uh, I think I had flip-flopped them at first. And then I, my, you know, I, I had him, I had one in, in one spot and the other in, in the other spot. And then I just changed them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's exactly my point. I reread it. And I was like, well, Tom Glavin, I think should be lower. And Johan Santana should be higher. And so I, I, um, which, which I was just, I guess, makes, <laughs> Is the to- which is I guess like I said the beauty of this kind of uh, kind of book and the, and the debates it incites it even yeah. incites debate yeah. itself. <laughs> it, it's fun. It's fun. You know. Uh, uh, and, and then when I saw John Neese at number ten, I said, "John Neese, how the heck did he even make this book?" <laughs> um, and then I well maybe there wasn't enough ten starters that you could have got to and you had to put him in, but. Uh, he was what he won eighty-one games, I think you said here, and uh, I guess uh, when you look at the overall picture, he did have some good uh, good stuff going now. Just I was I was looking, I was like, I was the same. I was like, I can't, he can't be number ten. I'm like, okay, I guess he is. <laughs> so and I, yeah, and the the, the uh, write up on him was not particularly glowing. I mean, he certainly was. Like, no, 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 game, no, nothing to be. Uh, ashamed of, but uh, the way he left and uh, yeah. being critical of everyone but himself uh, didn't, you know, endear himself to Mets fans. And of course, he came back. So, <laughs> yeah, not for long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting. That's one of my pet peeves when a guy gets traded. Why can't you just leave gracefully? Leave yeah. and and keep your mouth shut. Because you never know what's going. It's not that big a league, you know. <laughs> it is only thirty teams, and uh, y- you shouldn't wear out your welcome with anybody because that old team may need your services again. And uh, um, it's it's you know keep your mouth shut and just say yeah I had a great time man, and that's it. Um, I'm very, uh, I was very pleased to see that you put, uh, Skip Lockwood in the relief pitchers. Uh, I, I have interviewed Skip. He has a book out and, uh, he's a very nice man. And, uh, he was one of the bright spots of those couple of years there. Yeah, no, he, um, it, it's, uh, it was hard to, um, to do this, uh, relief pitcher list. Uh, because you had, you know, relief pitchers, the, you know, how relief pitchers are judged in different eras. Right. So like someone right. like Blackwood or Tug McGraw, um, they obviously go longer innings. And in the case of Skip Blackwood, um, you know, the saves weren't as, uh, I guess, available, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, you had more pitchers going all the way. So uh, I, it was kind of interesting to try to um, – 
uh, grade him against someone like Jerry's Familia, who has a lot of opportunities at saves, or, you know, Martin Benitez back, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, uh, yeah, he was certainly um, very good for those, you know, in the late 70s when, again, there were less opportunities, there, were, there weren't many opportunities for saves uh, for pitchers in the 70s, and there weren't many opportunities to save a victory for the Mets, Mets. in the late 70s. <laughs> Especially, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what was your criteria for for picking the ten things that you did? Like when it came to uh, like the, the beginnings, there you picked the players, um, and uh, I, I thought it was an interesting selections that you made. Um, what mm-hmm. sort of criteria did you uh, did you do? Did you you know just take a look at like the early teams and just pick off names and uh, I, you know, just take us through how your thought process yeah. was in writing this. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the early Mets, um, and all, you know, the, the troubles they went through, there was the selection process was, uh, you know, the selection pool was not particularly deep. Um, <laughs> and it, it was mostly a stat. It was mostly stats and impact to the team. Um, uh, you know, at the top we have, uh, Ron Hunt, which is, which I thought was a pretty easy i mean frank thomas is up there mm-hmm. um as well so yeah when you, it, it's hard to judge uh in kind of we we're talking about skip lockwood it's hard to judge a starting pitcher for the mets in the early early years of the team because they weren't particularly given a lot of run support or defensive support um not saying not saying they were you know sandy koufax but uh they weren't you know given the kind of um backing that maybe pitchers of, of, you know, early, I guess maybe like the mid eighties were. So someone like a Roger Craig who would lose 20 games with regularity, um, didn't pitch, you know, as bad as his record indicates. Uh, and for the Mets at that time, he was, you know, if not their best pitcher, one of their best pitchers, you know, along with someone like an Al Jackson. So, uh, it was, yeah, I mean, it was mostly a, a statistic, statistically, statistically based, um, judgment uh that that generated that list um so and a lot i mean it wasn't there weren't any from like you know ron hunt and uh frank thomas at the top it was kind of it was hard you could make a case for any of them to be up you know higher or lower it was it was not um clear cut from you know three on down as far as i remember well i tell you in the early mets if you were ever going to do an honorable mention uh, I yeah. would include uh, characters on that team, and, and uh, sure. certainly uh, Choo Choo Coleman would be one, and yeah. the other would be uh, marvelous Marv Thronberry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they yeah, were no, certainly uh, characters. That would be a great, great, nice. Uh, what a great list to do um, separately, just you know, characters or like, a, yeah, as you said, like a sidebar to have like no- notable names of the early Mets. Um, like a Choo Choo Coleman or or uh, marvelous Marv, because yeah. they certainly brought a lot of entertainment to those early years when the team was losing. At least they were not losing; uh, they were not boring. <laughs> no, they weren't. I can tell you firsthand, and it is amazing how. Um, <laughs> I mean, how we put up with it. It was, but it was. They were lovable. They really were yeah. lovable, and. Uh, 
you know, even to this day, I can remember uh, a lot of the players and, and uh, um, you know, they still get respect around uh, when you talk with older Met fans and stuff because I guess maybe that it's also, you know, that was our youth as well. So uh, it was uh, very interesting uh, to see that again. Um, the managers... Uh, again, I, I, it's it's hard to argue. I mean, I, I guess you could a, a younger fan could argue about Gil Hodges being number one, but I think you explain it very well there. You know, uh, in your first sentence when you say it's it's a, he was a, a list of you know the hiring of him was a, a watershed uh, point in the franchise history. Yeah, no, it was uh, in, in my opinion, it was certainly a. a uh, it generated uh, a big change in the direction of the franchise. It also, I don't think, and with all respect to Davey Johnson, who had to, you know, kind of deal with a lot of different uh, personalities and, 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 you know, kind of rowdy players. I don't think, I think Gil Hodges was more impactful to the 1969 team success than Davey Johnson was to the 1986 team success. I, 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 th- I don't think, I don't think, and maybe in the history of this, I don't think there's any more important manager to a team, especially with the way he, uh, you know, had to, you know, change, you know, lineups with, you know, right-handers and left-handers uh-huh. uh, and also motivating the pitching staff. I don't think there was anyone more important to a, a championship team, uh, certainly in Mets history, but maybe in the history of baseball. Yeah, I'd have to go along with that. And I mean, and, and if you uh, listen to any of the guys from that team, they absolutely loved mm-hmm. Gil Hodges, he was, uh, uh, you know, they still cry uh, when they talk about him. So that's a a pretty good indication of uh, the respect that they they had for him. And uh, uh, you've got Jerry Manuel in the list. I thought that was an interesting (laughs) choice. Um, I was straight in there. (laughs) (laughs) Did the statistics prove it out? but I guess who else could you put in? <laughs> I think I had like Dallas Green at number ten. 10. Yeah, yeah. Angles number nine. So I don't. I'm, I'm thinking Jerry Manuel made the number eight or something like that. But uh, yeah, so uh, it was. You were yeah. You were reaching. I mean, you weren't going to put like Jeff Torborg up there. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, you were just like it was kind of like with um, John Neese. You're just like uh, who am I left with? Uh, yeah. Someone like Casey Stengel, certainly in the history of baseball, might be considered the greatest manager ever. But in terms of the Mets, um, I mean, and look at the hand he was dealt with. But yeah, he's certainly not. Yeah, he certainly did not have much to to um, to play with. And yet, you know, also his age was 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 quite. You know, uh, he was in his seventies when he's managing the Mets, and he was more of just uh, almost like a gate attraction. I mean, right. and he was just also right. to deflect. From all the terrible things that were happening would, on the field, it, exactly. personality helped. I, I think you're 100 percent correct there. I think the uh, he looked at what uh, he had, and uh, uh, George Weiss, who was the first general manager, he brought tried to bring back a lot of guys like a uh, Gil Hodges and and some of the other Brooklyn Dodges that people knew to try to get those people here. Um, it was interesting because the uh, Houston at the time came in the same time and they went for younger guys and yet yeah. the Mets were fortunate enough to beat them to the World Series but uh, uh, yeah it was it was uh, I think 
you know, you're 100% correct that Casey was really looked at everything, and I think he figured, I got to be the, the, the center point here. I've got to be the clown. I've got to get the publicity. Um, I got to do some crazy. And he did some crazy stuff, too. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, he yeah. posed. And, you know, in those days, we had Miss Rangold uh, and uh, Homer. The, uh, the was the mask. It was a, a beagle. I think it was a beagle or a, a hound. Uh, and uh, he was like the mascot of the Mets, and he was there, Homer. And um, it was just a crazy time. Now I, I don't know. Did you do a section? Uh, as I glanced, I didn't see it. But um, did you do a section on the owners at all? I know there hasn't been ten owners, so I guess you couldn't. Um, any yeah, mention yeah. of Joan Payson at all? Mrs. Payson gets so overlooked by everyone, and it's not. So, yeah, no, it, it's good that you mentioned it. I, I had um, mentioned her. I don't. We didn't have an owners um, chapter mm-hmm. um, because of. Yeah, I don't think there have been Obviously, ten owners. No. <laughs> Certainly, the dealings of Doubleday and uh, Wilpon were discussed in the feuds chapter. Um, which is high up there, yeah, but as and it, it, hopefully it, uh, you'll you'll be happy to know that in my next book on the all-time team, I certainly intend to mention Joan Payson um, as the all-time, and I'm putting that in quotes, all-time owner of the Mets, yeah. kind of the person that I ideally like to put. And you are absolutely right um, that she does get overlooked, not only uh, in terms of just the Mets history, but in terms of like you know a woman owning a, a, a sports franchise right. that was. Totally unknown, and someone doing it without you know just inheriting it. She yeah. actually was the first owner, and she had influence on hirings and uh, and and how people or uh, how the players um, you know respected being there. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she created a great environment to uh, to be in. So uh, you're right. I think she gets overlooked. Uh, in a lot of different ways. So uh, in the next book, she will certainly get the respect she deserves. All right. <laughs> and, and you know, she was there every game. I mean, and, and no owner's box in those days. She, she had an owner's box, but it was right next to the dugout. And she would yeah. be there every game. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, it was just um, – she became like everybody's grandmother almost. Uh, every fan, you know, she was very recognizable uh, and was just a, a terrific lady. And uh, I know one of my uh, friends uh, that does another podcast, a Mets podcast, he's pushing for, everybody's pushing for a statue of Tom Seaver, and he'd love to see that. Don't get me wrong, but he thinks there should be something. To honor Mrs. Payson, because without her and her money, there would be no New York Mets, and I think he's a hundred percent correct. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I'm all for the Seaver. I'm taking a. I'm going to make a wild prediction, and and this probably won't come true. <laughs> but that that <laughs> they announced the Seaver statue this year, the 50th anniversary of the 69 Mets. I'm just throwing it out there. I, maybe yeah. I'm just maybe it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> I think you could be on to something. <laughs> so did you enjoy the uh, QBC, the Queens Baseball Convention? Uh, uh, for those that don't know, that's where I ran into Brian and uh, I exchanged uh, business cards and, and uh, uh, found this wonderful book. Um, did you enjoy it, your day there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my dad and I drove up from, from D.C., uh, at crack of like four thirty, and uh, made it up there and and had a great time. I mean, uh, obviously meeting meeting people like yourself, 
uh, fans who had already bought the book, which was really nice to see. Um, really, uh, a lot of makes you feel very grateful because I don't, you know, it's it's fun to see people enjoy uh, what you put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mets, other Mets fans, of course, uh, got the uh, autographs from uh, Ed Cranepool, took a picture with him, got an autograph from Daryl Strawberry. Um, we only chose two autographs. I think I would, I would also have liked to get a girl Alfonso, but, uh, but oh well. So certainly had a great time selling books, meeting people. Uh, it's a great annual event for, for Mets fans. It gets you juiced up for the next season. Um, for sure. Because, uh, it's, you know, I mean, you got a little bit of football, football's, I don't know. Football's my second favorite sport, (laughs) but second by by a lot. So, um, you know, the Mets are number one. So, and, and, and when an event like this happens, it also makes you realize that you're not the only crazy person. Like, you're not, like, you, you think you're nuts. And then you go to the Queens Baseball Grand, you go, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm normal. <laughs> it was literally a sea of blue and orange. <laughs> I, I, I tell my, or I tell my mother, these, it's, I used to describe it. She was there a year ago uh, because my dad couldn't make it. And I told her about it. I go, just imagine 250 versions of me. <laughs> That's what you have. Well, so it was, it, it, and, it, and it's great. They sell, I mean, they sell out. They not only sell out. I mean, the line is just yes. out yeah. the door oh. for like the autographs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully next year I'm, I'm trying to push for uh, a panel. Uh, we'll see. So okay. but I'm certainly going to be there next year. All right. And will you, when is the new book, uh, uh, gonna be ready and out yeah my the plan is for the book to be out uh march of next year um so it's it would be a Mets all-time team mm-hmm. uh book certainly uh you, you know tom Seavers. i'm not going to give anything away saying tom Seavers in it <laughs> and you know mike Piazza <laughs> and david wright and we'll go position by position surprise surprise uh, with, you know, starters and you know members you know i don't know how big the roster is going to be but there certainly be um um, an honorable mention, and then we'll go from you know manager and maybe GM and and certainly owner. So um, yeah, yeah, it'll just uh, uh, be a nice uh, look at all the the best players the Mets have ever had. You know, it's it's funny because the first book was writing about the highs and the lows, but this is most this is pretty much all oh, good highs, stuff. Man. So nothing. <laughs> uh, I, I I weirdly like writing more about the negative stuff. So <laughs> this is that's the only I, I guess I weirdly say the only challenge, but but it's going to be it's a lot of fun to, to come up with the team. Uh, I'm having yeah. a lot of fun doing that. Uh, and that's interesting. I wonder if somebody ever put out a completely um, negative book if it would sell. Not negative in 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 attacking the team, but bad moments i wonder if that would yeah. people would be interested in that i don't know some people like know. to to yeah some <laughs> people are like masochists i don't know <laughs> well this is a, is a terrific book and by the way is a forward in here by jerry kuzman and i don't know how you got that but uh, uh <laughs> luck. luck no i, I actually did he give you the answer no i i actually had a podcast of my own uh, about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and I got Jerry Kuzma. I actually found his address and wrote a letter to him, like, you know, typed it up, right. sent it to him and said, hey, if you want to do an interview, email me, and he did. I was, like, sitting at my desk at work, and I see, you know, my iPhone, like, oh, you know, Jerry Kuzman just sent you, a, you know, on Gmail, right. and um, which was fantastic. And so I got the interview. It was great. And then when I was thinking about who you get for a forward, 
I, I realized I had what I still thought was Jerry Goosen's email and I just took a shot and explained it to him, gave him, you know, here's what I'm doing for the book and um, things like that. So he was, he was all in. So, um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate for that as well. So, um, well, I'd love to get his email. Good, I should have saw that email from, <laughs> from four years ago, four or five years ago. Do you still have it? I do. I, I yeah. I mean, I was in contact with him up until last year, so I, 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 I still have it. Well, I, do you think you could send it to me? <laughs> I, I will. I will absolutely. Just let right. know that you, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, hey, I had an interview with Brian Wright, who did your, you did the forward for it, and I'm sure, I'm sure you would do it. Okay, great. I'd love to have. I'd love to yeah, get him on yeah. the show, especially this yeah. year with the 50th anniversary. That uh, would be absolutely, terrific. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's, I'm that's still. A great idea. You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I have talked to Cranepool numerous times. I was even in his house once, and yet I've never interviewed him. Uh, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> well, through doing this podcast, a friend of mine who I've had on another author, author Brett Topel. Uh, he mm-hmm. got an invitation because at Cranepool, I probably told the story on the air. I apologize if I did. Uh, Brett, uh, he got an invitation to go to uh, Ed Cranepool's house because Ed was raising money for medical bills, and he's selling off some of his memorabilia. And he said to me, he was encouraged to bring a guest or two, and he said to me, "Would you like to go?" And I said, "Sure," <laughs> you know. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So we went in, uh, I think it was in July. And I have to tell you, it was a very surreal experience because here you're walking in somebody, you know, you you know they live in houses and stuff, but I've never, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's hard. To, I see these guys on television. It's hard to picture them in a regular life, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, he had this this uh, his his friend uh, met us at the front door and took us and go go downstairs go down. and you walk downstairs and you start to see some of the pictures on the wall and stuff and son of a gun they're sitting in the couch was Ed Cranepool and I'm like this wow. is this is unbel- this is unreal <laughs> um, you think they walk on water, but yet they just exactly, exactly. And uh, he couldn't have been more gracious. I, I think we were there about an hour. Uh, he was just the, the stories he told, and I almost wanted to turn my phone on to record it. And then I says, "Nah, that wouldn't be right," you know. Um, I, I left a card with him and asked him to email me, and he, he never did. But that's okay. Um, I, I spoke to him again. Uh, at the QBC, um, but one of these days I'll get them. I'll <laughs> I'll get them. I'll just uh, it's just uh, uh, pretty incredible. Um, and and uh, but you do find out that they're regular people, and and you get the right guy. They're pretty darn nice. Yeah, especially for the um, the older players. A mm. lot of them are just like, "Oh, you still remember me?" You know. <laughs> You want to talk to me to talk about 1969? I'd love to because um, you know it's. I, I mean, I know people still want to talk about it, but it's it's they still revel in 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 discussing you know the you know, you know the greatest moment of their sports life. I mean, right. certainly something like Ed Cranepool or Jerry Guzman, um, That's what they're most remembered for uh, being on that team. So um, 
I'm sure, I'm sure you can get Ed Cranepole, especially this year. He'll probably be in high demand. And, yeah. And he'll be in, I'm sure there's a way uh, to try to get a hold of him. So, um, yeah, I wish you luck trying to, trying to get him. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm Thanks. Uh, and, and, and if you don't mind, if you can just shoot me that Kuzman address, I'd appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I will. I will do that for sure. Well, this has been an absolute. Hopefully it's still working. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's worth a shot. If not, I'll take your advice and I'll send them a letter. Yeah, that's another option, too. Well, Brian, this has been an absolute joy. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The time, I don't know where the heck the time went to. It went so so fast, but it's a terrific book. I'm holding it here now, so those that watch the video will see uh, what it looks like. It, I, I recommend you get it. You can keep it at your side and use it as a reference guide or uh, just for some, uh, I hate to say, I don't, uh, it, it sounds a little, I hope it doesn't sound demeaning to you, but it's it's light reading. It's good to, to pass the time. And especially on a cold winter night when you're dreaming about baseball, this is the book you want to pick up and uh, take a look at because it's just terrific and you'll enjoy it immensely and I want to thank you for taking your time out and it was so nice to meet you at the QBC and I hope to see you next year there. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to uh, meet you as well and thanks so much for having me on the show. I had a great time. Uh, I'm so glad and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Gary. (laughs) All right. I'll be back right after these messages. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood, and you're listening to Mets Musing. 516-619-6341. That is the comment voicemail hotline if you'd like to be a part of the show. And uh, drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail, question, anything at all. Call that number, 516-619-6341. Or go to MetsMusings.com and Click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings, and the Twitter handle is at metsmusings1. And we're back, and uh, my co-host here this week, Jackson's getting a little rambunctious, so I better get going here. Uh, he wants to get fed or get played with or something. I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, I want to thank my guest so much, uh, Brian Wright, for being on. It's a great book, Mets in Tens. And uh, go check it out at your local bookstore or on Amazon. Pick it up at his website, whatever. Uh, Mets in 10, so go check that out. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you will uh, uh, 
uh, go and subscribe at YouTube or Google Play or iTunes, wherever you watch or listen to the podcast. It's very important. It helps us grow the show. And remember, until next time, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Spring training just, what, a week away. So we'll have more to talk about coming up real soon on Mets Musings. Good night, everybody.